0: All right. Welcome back to the struck podcast on today's episode. We're going to chat a little bit about airlines and some of the kind of unique, quirky ways they're trying to still make a a dollar and stay afloat. Um, Merch is one way of describing it. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about Boeing. Unfortunately, uh, I've announced they're going to make some more job cuts. Also, a interesting sighting an F117 was spotted in San Diego, which is a supposedly retired uh, jet and we're going to chat a little bit about some interesting photographs uh, a nasa spacecraft took recently of sprites and elves which are two unique types of lightning so we'll uh or at least the way lightning is sort of displayed in the atmosphere in our engineering segment we'll talk about pilots remaining calm which we've chatted about in the past uh and also about this new uh pec material from Hexel that's electrically conductive so pretty interesting expensive new technology and then lastly in our electric tech segment we're going to talk about a new partnership between japan airlines and Volocopter, which i still think is alan's favorite evtol and a quick talk about jaunt so alan let's go to uh, the airlines first so in this interesting article by airtime.aero they're just talking about some of these airlines are, are just hustling essentially. So they're, some are selling in-flight meals to yeah. people on the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, some of their snacks, uh, bar carts, like accessories, stuff like that for, and this seems to be more the, like the luxury airlines like Finnair and some other ones, sure. but Alan, would you, would you buy a in-flight meal
1: <laughs>
0: on on the ground
1: well i don't know if i'd buy a meal necessarily uh, maybe if they offered it like at, at a place of work that instead of having a cafeteria there's these little box meals then yeah i think it, it'd make a lot of sense because cafeterias are probably shut down so having a box meal would be a, a nice little uptick in in uh, in the benefits package but the i think the one that's is curious is all the all the nuts and the especially the the more expensive nuts that you get on, on some of the nicer flights like they need to unload those things somewhere and it, it's coming near the mm-hmm. holidays and that's where that i think the 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 funny thing is that it's like getting close to in the states thanksgiving and then christmas which are big nut holidays and uh, little trinkety holiday items i, I they could do a mm-hmm. decent market don't you think like
0: I think it'd be a funny gag gift. Like, yeah. hey, since we didn't get to do anything fun at all this entire year and it was the worst year on record, here's some Southwest peanuts. Like ha ha ha. I think that's a good joke. It's a good stocking stuffer. Yeah. For a quick laugh. The slippers, you know?
1: the little eye covers, and the they have on some of those on some of the flights, the, the, the first class benefits are pretty good still. And so all those little mm-hmm. trinkets and things would Be a nice little, you know, something to put under the under the Christmas tree as saying, "Hey, next year we're we're going to go travel because COVID's over and we can go do our thing." uh, Yeah, it it seems like there'd be a marketplace for that kind of stuff because there's always, if you've ever looked online, there's some really interesting like aircraft trinkets. Which is the one Mm -hmm. I seen recently is where they're taking old airplanes, like an Airbus three hundred and twenty, that went out of service, and they're cutting it up into little key tags, essentially. So this this piece, piece of aluminum came out of a uh, B 52 or something of the sort. And so you can have a little memento of the airplane, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of aluminum in an airplane so they can make hundreds of thousands, of these little tiny squares of, of aluminum. And it's a kind of a cool thing, but I think they were like 10 bucks, like 10 bucks. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure that's, that makes sense. That's a, that's a good business. It is a yeah, great that business. Makes sense. I mean, yeah.
0: For Etsy, Etsy or something like if you had an Etsy shop and you're good with, you know, like any jewelry designer could just say, Hey, I'm going to buy, you know, a, a chunk of a plane and then you get it home, then you cut it up into smaller pieces and you make some little, <laughs> you know, making it into a dog tag or jewelry and just sell it at a nice markup. Yeah. That's a, actually a smart business idea. So if you're gonna steal that from me, uh, <laughs> at least give me a credit. But well, one of the, the really, I think this one's the, probably the most fun thing in the article is that it says Qantas Airways sold a thousand stocked bar carts from their old now retired Boeing 747 fleet. Stocked? So you can have one of those carts that you whe- that you wheel down the, uh, the aisle. at your house that's amazing (laughs) you know if you have a a nice roomy home you just wheel it out like who wants ginger ale would you like the whole can or just uh you know like that's Awesome. And that would be such a fun gift for like someone, you know, who's got a little money, who's got like everything, you know, like, oh, especially for someone who's got their own p- private plane or a little, you know, a pilot. Like, that's an awesome Christmas oh, gift.
1: Oh, it's like if person. you have a pool. No, we don't have a pool. We haven't had a pool in... Oh, you're right. Right? That's a good Just thing. Just to the you're wheel right. around the that's pool good and offer people drinks. It's like the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> perfect for Florida. Awful for Massachusetts. But yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, good take there. So, moving on, Boeing is unfortunately said they're going to lay off maybe another 7,000 workers. So, we mentioned Boeing a lot. Alan, what's uh, what's your, your thought here?
1: They're trying to pare costs down. And I don't, I, it's, you have the 787 all moving to, the, to South Carolina. You have a lot of the 737 not really ramped up quite yet. And to the 777 sort of on the next generation is 777 on a basically a delay you got people that you don't don't have any place for right now so uh they're looking to slim down not huge amounts because there's about 130 140,000 employees within in Boeing and I wonder if some of them are going to be sort of that middle management tier rather than the mm-hmm. people on the floor uh but it's still not good we got to get over this uh Yeah, yeah. We gotta get. We gotta get it. COVID, COVID. We would all love to get over COVID. Yeah, yeah. We right, but here's the thing about COVID, which is very frustrating for me, which is everybody's back at school. Everybody's back at school on some level. All elementary schools, almost everywhere in the United States, uh, schools are in session. Colleges are definitely in session. In session, they're actually playing sports. Uh, which we didn't yeah. think was possible. So we haven't seen huge number shifts in sort of COVID for large populations in which there should be big, bigger problems. And I think what we're seeing in the United States is that sort of that 20 to 30 year old bracket is where the trouble lies in terms of, of c- being contagious to one another. Just, it's just youth. I think more people not uh, thinking you're invincible. That's what, which is what you do when you're 20, right? So you, don't pay as much attention to things. And I think that's where the outbreak lies. But for, for the vast majority of society, it has been relatively low, so to speak. It's all relative, obviously. But if we're all in panic mode all the time and being in an election season, there are specific, specific candidates that are trying to put everybody into panic mode because it drives votes, then the consequences of that are airlines suffer because everybody's scared to travel. Even though the data right now points to it not being really a risk, you're probably more at risk going to the local Walmart, Target grocery store than you are being on an airline flight. That's probably the logistics of it and the truth of the matter, but it doesn't feel like that. And so until we feel some sort of normalcy, airlines are gonna be in trouble, which means that Boeing's gonna to continue to lay off people, Airbus is gonna be in the same boat, Embraer, Bombardier, uh, Textron, Dassault, and the only people, that's, only companies that seem to be stable are Gulfstream uh, on the larger jets because there's sort of only a couple people traveling those things. That's just not good for the industry. Just not good.
0: So citing in San Diego some F-117s, which were supposedly retired in 2008, and now we know the f-117 was reactivated so they sent a couple of them to the middle east in 2017 yeah. but they were recently seen again so these are the first gen right so they're over 25 years old mm-hmm. and uh people have gotten no explanation from the government they're not really sure w- what are the f-17s doing uh <laughs> alan got any uh
1: hypotheses i do that i think the administration in the united states looks at it a little bit differently than probably the military did four or five years ago and there is a reluctance to just because the in the united states they're bringing online f-22s and f-35s which have stealthy capabilities i'm not sure they're as stealthy as f-117 but so be it Uh, there's a lot of discussion about that online but The I think the administration is saying, hey, look, the cost of an F-35, the loss of one of those is a way more. And the loss of the technology is probably more important than the loss of the airframe itself. And they have uh, lost a couple of F-117s in in flights. So uh, I think one was down in Yugoslavia years ago, if I remember correctly. But the the issue with the F-117 is like it's still a viable airplane and for the vast majority of the world. They're never going to be able to detect it. So if you're in places of the world like Syria, which is in turmoil, you can probably fly an F-117. If you lost it, it's not going to be a national security issue, so to speak, uh, Mm -hmm. because the technology is older. Right. So it it does make sense unless you're having some large invasion that maybe the F-117 is your proper airplane for that mission. The, The issue that comes about is like, who's going to fly that thing? Because you have to have, yeah. you have to fly it, right? I mean, you have to be competent at flying it. It's not the easiest aircraft in the world to fly, from what I hear. So you you want to fly it and keep yourself up to date on it, which is where somewhere the camera in today's world sees an F-117, especially in San Diego, where a lot of military personnel who know what that aircraft is uh, are, are going to be able to spot it and take a picture of it. So I'm not surprised it's still flying around. I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. I'd be surprised if it wasn't flying
0: gotcha well it did they did say that they're in type 1000 storage which means that they could be reactivated for for duty at like any moment so everything you said i think adds up makes a lot of sense so moving on to to nasa so nasa's juno spacecraft discovered that uh in jupiter's atmosphere they have these lightning-like electrical outbursts that we call sprites or elves Mm -hmm. so I'm just gonna move right to you. Alan, what are elves, what are sprites? And tell us about what NASA has found.
1: On planet, just because there's, if you think about the atmosphere of any planet, there's gases in that atmosphere. And in the the world, our planet, uh, Earth, there's a lot of nitrogen. And I think on Jupiter, wasn't it hydrogen? But if there's electrical activity, if you think about a thunderstorm cloud as being this big pocket of charge, and so you're 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 generating electricity in the air because of friction that's essentially how it happens you get ice crystals Mm -hmm. from frozen water and then they rub against one another and they start to polarize and then you get these huge uh pockets of charge when they discharge and there's a lightning strike and we on the ground say wow there's a lightning strike but that electricity also goes to the upper atmosphere too so it's going up and down to neutralize so to speak the electricity in the atmosphere so until probably the late '80s, early '90s, we didn't know a lot about it. There was, I think, there were just some recordings of people see, Especially if you're in the United States in the Midwest and you're looking west when a thunderstorm's coming towards you, because of the curvature of the Earth, you can actually see the, the sprites and the and the Ls appearing way up in the sky. And it wasn't until recently when we started to record them and understand what what it meant. But essentially, sprites are electrical discharges that look vertical. And then elves are these uh, sort of circular patterns that happen in the upper atmosphere, the, the kind of glowing discharge sort of events. It's, they're unusual, but they're just electrical. I think of it just an electric charge moving up through the atmosphere. It's sort of, it's not like the Aurora Borealis, but it kind of has the same sort of effect as the Aurora Borealis. Those are two different effects, but uh, the... You know, the sprites and the, and the elves are caused by charge in clouds. And the same thing exists on other planets. But the thing about uh, the, the little NASA uh, data experiment was that they saw flashes in data, but they didn't know what it was. It didn't appear like they knew what it was. And then they went back through several years of data and, like, oh, look, there's electric- electricity discharges up into the upper atmosphere. That's what's happening. Wow, that's just like Earth. Mm-hmm. So we're planet-wise, I think the, the, f- the funny thing about it is, planet-wise, a lot of things that happen on Jupiter, being a much larger planet, also happen on Earth. They're, the atmospheres are very similar, although they may contain different relative gases, the effects are very similar between the two in terms of electricity in the atmosphere, which is really cool, really, really cool.
0: All right, so in our engineering segment today, first thing, we're going to talk a little bit about systems and training, which uh, may be a form of engineering, probably not the strictest sense, but we're talking about uh, pilot training. How do pilots r- uh, remain calm in extreme situations? And we chatted about this a number of episodes, maybe like 10, 10 or 15 ago, uh, as we were talking about checklists and how important those are for just making correct decisions when under duress. Um, and so this article also from AeroTime.Aero, they just talk about a couple of different uh, bullet points, but one that I really want to, besides, so here, here are the main ones. Uh, strict selection process, obviously you need to be cut from maybe the right cloth to be like, not everyone's capable of making sensible decisions under under pressure. Uh, scope of training, repetition, you know, clear directives and procedures. But the last one here is taking a break, and they talk about not making impulsive decisions, and even when under stress, taking a moment to really assess the situation, which just might be a, a second or two just to pause and actually think. And I think it's a really interesting concept that even went in like a really pressure situation. And, you know, obviously the one that comes to mind is the uh, the miracle on the Hudson. Right. With mm-hmm. the famous pilot now, Sully. Um, but Alan, tell us about making a a pause before a really critical time sensitive decision.
1: I think it all has to do with just slowing your brain down and being able to process information. That seems to be the key. And the, for pilots, I think a lot of it is just habit. And I've been reading that or listening to the audio book uh, called habit. And I forget the gentleman's name who wrote it, but it basically breaks down how your brain processes information. And they studied, mice and uh monkeys and apes and all kinds of creatures trying to figure out how your brain processes information and how you sort of sort through things and what becomes habit and what doesn't become habit and pilots are creatures of habit that there are they have know what's coming next and that's sort of an important part to know what's coming next and to take those really key elements of of data and to be able to process it to have the right response right because you're in the control loop the pilots are in the control loop so the more you repeat these emergency procedures the more they become automatic in your head you don't have to really think about them because it's actually stored in a different part of your brain now that is fascinating because you always think oh i know there's short-term memory and there's long-term memory but physically it's actually changing the location in your brain so that you don't even really think about a lot of things a lot of things you do on a regular basis, like make yourself a cup of coffee or get out of bed or um, pull out of a parking lot are such they're complicated tasks when you break them down, but you do them with such ease and you don't really think about it. If you ask yourself, how did I make that cup of coffee ten minutes ago? People have forgotten they've already made it, but they physically did it because it becomes such a habit and pilots can train like that. if you listen to pilot talk sometime, that the the that those checklist items that they bang through and the, the the emergency procedures that they go through and the checklist that they have are part of building that habit, so they know what the next point is. And it it's a basically like slowing it down, right? It's a, it's a slowing down effect.
0: All right. So Hexcel is a composites company. They make a lot of really in- interesting, innovative materials. Article here from CompositesWorld.com. They're talking about Hexpec. So Hex P E K K, so it's a type of uh, obviously plastic material, mm-hmm. and they say with this hexel hexpec, it is a electrically conductive material. It's uh, got fi- carbon fiber in it, mm-hmm. and it's going to meet static electricity management standards that um, you know some customers are looking for in the aerospace industry and others. But mm-hmm. Alan. This seems like it's a pretty darn expensive material. Yes. And tell us a little bit about about Hexpec and its applications.
1: Well, you see more and more 3D applications, printing applications for aircraft parts uh, because the shapes are unique and sometimes you need a funky looking part to do the job and it's hard to injection mold a piece of plastic. The, the, the molds themselves can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if you can print it, it, it the the cost benefit, if you're, you're printing low quantities or making low quantities, it's a lot cheaper to print it, specifically if it's an experimental part. Mm-hmm. It's easier to do. And then the question comes down to materials, right? What material are you going to print the, the plastic from? There's been a lot of nylon materials, and you still see a lot of nylon today. And then there's nylon with carbon fiber, which provides a little stiffer material. It's a little easier to work with. Uh, but as soon as you start adding carbon fiber to anything, price goes up. And then when you start playing around with aerospace grade plastics, like Peck and Ultim and the, 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 things that are, the plastics that are used inside a cabin of an aircraft, because they don't really burn all that well, they don't smoke, uh, the price shoots up even more. So. Uh, taking a, a pec material and putting carbon fiber with it probably has tremendous. From what I can tell online, it has tremendous properties, and they can make some really cool parts out of it. It's but the cost is going to be very expensive, so your your application market is going to be aerospace because uh, you can get you can get value out of that still because it's going to save you so much money on the, the injection molding of parts. And I yeah I see it a lot. Uh, more recently on interior parts because there's a lot of plastic clips and little things that you don't think about but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of variable variations on plastic clips and brackets and whatnot that you wouldn't necessarily want to make in mass production if you're only making 50 airplanes a year that you could probably 3d print i think the question about 3d printing still is its mechanical uh, resiliency because it's essentially layers of plastic that are laid down and squirted out of a nozzle so to speak. So it's like mm-hmm. so you're mm-hmm. kind of squirting this stuff out, and it's hot, so you got a hot nozzle. And I, I, one of the issues when you load any plastic with, um, we saw this on another project, when you load any plastic with some sort of material like carbon fiber, carbon fiber is rough, and so it tends to just eat up equipment. <laughs> it's so so just, but anytime you're laying down a, a melted plastic, how mechanically strong is that? You don't have any way of knowing so to speak versus injection molded part where you know the plastic is at a certain temperature all the time and you know that it crystallized properly in an injection molding situation you're not so sure of that when you 3d print so it becomes a little bit of the 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 quality of the part, the consistency of the part, and there's ways to overcome all those things, obviously, but mm-hmm. that's where the the contention lies. And uh, as we get better and better plastics and become more and more capable of printing out parts, you're going to see more of it, and more, in particular, in interiors. I think you see more of an interiors. You're, I, you're not going to see, from what I can tell, you're not going to see like a 3D printed aileron or a 3D printed wing that's not where we're going with this right now it's too early in the development but a little plastic clip for a coat hanger or a baggage compartment or some part of a laboratory absolutely they're going to do that
0: yeah and so for for this version specifically you know the electrically conductive pec mm-hmm. um you know and it's a pec based carbon fiber mm-hmm. what's what's that's application? with in aerospace like what are they going to make out of that you said it's really expensive but is that something for like radome parts wing parts Uh like where do you see that being applied
1: so putting carbon fiber gives it additional strength and it kind of cross links everything together so you have additional strength but it has this conductivity part of it which they're trying to promote the conductivity part would come into play if you're moving uh, fluids like if you're moving fuel around there's electrical charge that can be built up in fuel as you pump it somewhere and so you'd like to be able to dissipate the charge that sits in the fuel Uh, so having conductive parts or resistive parts could dissipate the charge. Same thing in like air conditioner ducts in in the overheads I know we're talking about air traveling in airplanes and how they duct the airplanes but there's essentially these fiberglass channels that sit above the baggage compartments where the air blows they can build up static charge because as soon as you start running air through them uh, the fiberglass can build up charge. So you can have problems with that. So having an anti-static uh, f- feed line tube, it can dissipate the static charge that would otherwise be there. So there are places where the conductivity comes into play to make the product overall better. The, the one area which I think they're implying that they can have some use is on the RF side. Can it be, quote, unquote, quasi-stealthy? Maybe there's a lot about stealth, which is complicated and having something that's sort of resistive, sort of conductive. It's kind of in that middle band. It kind of, it probably has some stealthy components to it based on what shape you make out of it. So you could make some stealthy pieces out of it. But again, stealth is complicated and there's no magic solution to stealth Uh, So it means complicated shapes, complicated uh, conductivity ranges, usually layers of of conductivity to absorb, reflect, whatever they're going to do. So having another material in the arsenal is always helpful. I just don't know if it's going to be the whiz-bang thing that it's sort of being advertised right now.
0: so for our final segment we're going to talk about evtol's real quick so japan airlines has invested into evtol development and their choice here is also alan's choice uh volocopter which is a german company so volocopter looks like a little you know uh looks like a helicopter you think it's probably the most one of the most viable designs. You're a fan, it seems safe, right? It's got it's not really ducting around it. Is it ducting? Or is it just just like a, a propeller guard? More just like a guard. Yeah,
1: guards, yeah. And structure. It's got yeah. this, this mm-hmm. kind
0: of yeah. hexagon it's structure. Kind of so nice like lattice work. Yeah. Reminds me of like an elk, like almost like a, yes, like antlers. Yes. The way it kind of just protects everything. But uh yeah. So Japan Airlines is interested in this project just to supply remote islands and mountains. Obviously, the, the little island has a lot of just interesting topography in general. Mm-hmm. So they probably see that as a pretty viable, you know, a lot of viable little routes to otherwise remote inaccessible areas. So what do you think about this this partnership, Alan? I,
1: I think it's great. Volocopter's been looking for applications. That we talked about a couple of episodes ago where Volocopter mm-hmm. was going to be in the Olympics in Paris in 2024. That makes a lot of sense to me because you just want to move people from A to B. But I, I think one of their big key markets is is uh, helicopter replacement services. So for for emergency transport of uh, wounded people or, or moving a you know a heart transplant from from one hospital to another, this helicopter makes a lot of sense and. If the distances aren't that far, but the terrain is bad and you couldn't put a runway in, you're only talking about vertical takeoff and landings, it's either a helicopter or a volocopter. Volocopter makes a lot of sense. It's going to be a lot less expensive to operate, which is where like Ampere in Hawaii is going to greatly reduce fuel costs because they can shuttle people on an electric propeller driven system for about you know 30 percent of the cost it would be on an internal combustion engine thing so the the technology is right and if you can lower the operational costs, there's a huge benefit to volocopter if the distances aren't too far because volocopter doesn't go that far but japan is mm-hmm. pretty co-located the if you look at the islands around it and they're pretty close to shore so there's not a huge distances to travel there And it could be a really good fit for them. So, you know, hats off, right? I think that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense.
0: Yeah, agree. So last article for today, uh, aviationtoday.com has an interesting title. How does Jaunt Air Mobility plan to achieve type certification for EVCOL systems? And in this article, and we've talked about Jaunt uh, at least once, maybe twice on the show thus far, they have a little infographic that shows sort of their timeline and uh, 2023, and this is my question to you, Alan. So in 2023, journey, pre-production, first flight, and then certification begins mm-hmm. in 2023. Yeah. And then 2025, low rate production begins. And then 2026, certification and full rate production. So could they get certified in three years with their...
1: No, uh, not three, six, 2026, right? They're going to start... 2023. We're going to
0: start in 2023, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So
1: you'll have an aircraft. so six years from now. Yeah, mm-hmm. six years from now. Right. That's probably the most realistic schedule I've heard of in a long time. Yes, it's going to take them that long, uh, just because of the complexities of flight test program and all the the certification issues that need to be resolved. The the the, the FAA requirements, the new Part 23 requirements which are gonna be leveled mostly on these things. So the new, the FAA issued in 2017 or 2018, it's been a couple years ago now, they issued new requirements for smaller aircraft that uh, simplify the requirements or condense the requirements. They will not so much prescriptive saying you have to do it this way. They they, they just set performance requirements there. It has to be able to do X, make it do X. We don't care how you do X, just make it do X. That's, Mm -hmm. so it's a different, style of certification and and which is good i mean it it does open the door to a lot more technology and and design changes that are more adaptable to what's actually going on right now the the issue really is and what john was talking about or was trying to get across is is that you don't want to spend a bunch of money building test articles flight test articles and equipment Unless you can show that the safety, you meet the safety requirements, that the design, as on paper, starts checking all the FAA boxes, and I, and that's a very valid approach, right? Because you, you've seen some of these. Aircraft companies, little aircraft companies pop up with a really cool design, but you know that the path of certification is very difficult because of the way it's constructed. And that's why you see these sort of iterative designs happen where they start off with a really cool looking little project and then it evolves into a, something that looks a little safer and then it evolves again into something that's a little bit bigger and probably a little bit safer. So they're, they're, they're having to spend money to learn the certification approach versus doing the certification approach first, getting it down on paper and then building it. I think that's where Jaunt was trying to go because the the Jaunt is an outgrowth of Carter and Carter was a, I want to say gyrocopter. I'm going to get killed for this, but it's essentially a gyrocopter. So it's got a rotating, low rotating speed blade on top and Mm -hmm. it's got a propeller on the back right so the the design is uh, a a rotating wing sort of design there's a lot of moving parts there and there's some advantages there's just very uh, good advantages to it from a design standpoint but 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 safety 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 the fa is going to run you through the safety gauntlet and make you check all these boxes that it does all the safety stuff so it may be a, a great aerodynamic performer but if it's not meeting the faa safety requirements then what's the point which is what john's saying is that hey look we need to we don't we, we don't need to spend a hundred million dollars a year on a design that's not going anywhere we need to figure out what the requirements are which they have to work with the faa on a special condition it sounds like and once they get that defined then they can start spending money because i think from an investor standpoint you really want to know what the ground rules are before you start pouring in a bunch of money, because if you don't know what the ground rules are to the game, do you want to play the game? And I think that's the FAA is setting the, setting the rules, so to speak. So we're going to play this game. It's going to be $500 million on the table, but I don't know what the rules are. That doesn't sound like a wise game to me. I want to know what the rules are and then I'll decide if I want to put $500 million into it. that's the way John's trying to approach it. It's a smart, it's just really smart approach.
0: All right, well, that'll do it for today's episode of Struck. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening. And please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews and short clips from the show and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Our handle is at WG Lightning. Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering and lightning protection. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at WeatherGuardAero.com. That's WeatherGuardAero.com.